Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Tuesday, August 13th, and this is episode 11 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by a man who probably didn't have a threesome this weekend, Skipper Ben. How's it going, Ben? Let's see. Since this show started, you bought a house, uh, Josh bought two cars, and I bought one car. We are making a ton of money, man. This is awesome. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And a man oh, who yeah. definitely didn't have a threesome this weekend, the Sultan of Saki. What's up, Josh? hi <laughs> Hey, guys. Welcome to Abbey Road Studio. <laughs> So we may or may not actually get this episode out. We've been having some lovely technical difficulties that are 100% on my end and not on uh, Ben and Josh's end. I'm glad you clarified that. I was going to say, clever choice of pronouns there, buddy. Yes, yes. <laughs> hopefully we are getting an episode out on Universal's epic universe, most lit, most woke, most park. It's a dumb name. We know it. Uh, Josh, I think you have some thoughts on that. Uh, but anytime there's a new for lack of a better word, clean slate to discuss uh, the creation, universal creative, imagineering. We love it. So we can throw out some of our own ideas, discuss possibly what they may do. Uh, We know some things, but the concept art that was put out was pretty darn vague. Uh, We can just assume based on other projects that Universal has going on right now that they're probably going to replicate some of those in this new park. I actually want to call it Universal's adverbial adjective land because that's basically (laughs) what they're going for. Just Words describing words describing words. Uh, credit goes to uh, to Jim Hill for the first mention of this, but it's a pretty easy comment to make. The Department of Redundancy Department with the uh, with the naming of it. It's an awful name. I hope it doesn't stick. But that aside, I'm sure you guys are excited about a new theme park. Absolutely. Oh yeah, and I was gonna say I don't hate the name. I'm not. I'm not even sure what we would call it. What like do you have a better? What would you call something like this based on the concept art? And kind of the lack of information that we have out there, uh, you know, we saw Fantastic Worlds was a uh, another name that was teased before this announcement. Uh, Epic Universe is out there now. Uh, you know, I don't know. I just can't think of anything that just uh, makes me hate this completely, considering what other options might be out there. Well, I'd call it I, Universal's Escape. Let me do a quick little word association with you. Just out of, I'm, I'm curious if this applies to you as it does to me. When I hear a woman's name to this day. I gen- whether I find it to be a pretty name or not, almost always relates back to whether or not the first woman I remember with that name was someone I found attractive or not. In other words, it's like we we sort of uh, we associate names with the things that they are, and right now this name doesn't really mean anything to us. So I suspect if this place is really awesome and they end up keeping this name, then in ten or fifteen years, people will be like, yeah, of course that's a good name because they like the thing that the name represents. Whereas right now we have that sort of hanging in the air with nothing to connect it to. Uh, so I, I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite because I said the name sucks. It doesn't hit my ears great, but I'm open to the idea that over time it might become something that's okay. That That's a perfect point. I think considering like something like Islands of Adventure, when that first came out, you know, what did that mean? What did that stand for? They didn't even, you know, there are no real islands in that park, to be honest. It's peninsulas of adventure. It is, but you know, I, I like, <laughs> I like the name, you know, and it, it has it's yeah. grown with me over time. I have a feeling this will the the same thing will happen with Epic Universe. Yeah, we talked about this, uh, Josh and I, and uh, when we were trying to come up with an appropriate name for this podcast. And at times, if whatever you do is great, not to not to say that necessarily this podcast is great, but if whatever you do is great, the name doesn't matter, and the name becomes the brand regardless of whether it's good or not. Right. So that very well could happen here. Uh, it's just this was the limited piece of information that we were given. If they went into detail on nine rides, then we probably wouldn't be focusing on the name so much. 
True. I mean, if, if Nikola Tesla had been named Adolf Hitler and vice versa, those two words would carry tremendously different emotional weights in society. So, yeah. Unrelated think, question, Josh, did you have a Heather Locklear poster on your wall at any point? <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so, so name aside, we had some thoughts on this. Uh, a, a breakdown of the, the land layout as we assume it right now is that there's going to be a Nintendo land. Uh, that's the worst kept secret about here. Uh, there's going to be a land devoted to Universal Classic Monsters, a land devoted to How to Train Your Dragon, and a fourth land that is very likely Fantastic Beast related but could potentially be Ministry of Magic related. And then there is also a roller coaster represented that may or may not be part of any of those four lands. So beyond that, we kind of looked at the Nintendo land specifically, but we're not necessarily attached to that to say, all right, what are they going to do here? And I think everybody is anticipating a Mario Kart attraction. Uh, There's been concept art about a Donkey Kong attraction as well. Uh, But I suspect that both of you have uh, uh, Nintendo fandoms in your uh, history. So what do you guys want to see for attractions or concepts in the Nintendo area of the park or perhaps the other areas of the park? Well, the first thing I'll say is that while generally I'm not a huge lover of trying to inject IP into theme parks, I think if you had to choose one that makes a lot of sense to do, it's Nintendo. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a lot of reasons for believing that. And I, it's one of the things that I actually talk about in my business class at the university is Nintendo because it's an incredibly fascinating company historically. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I bet a lot of our listeners aren't. But I suspect you go up to pretty much anyone today and you say, tell me about Nintendo. They're going to think Super Mario Brothers, Mario Kart for sure. Maybe yeah. Donkey Kong if they're a little bit older. But most people probably don't know that they started out making playing cards. They ran hotels that were rented by the hour for the people for the purpose of people going and having sex in them <laughs> they at one point when they thought their playing card business was going down here's a little bit of disney universe or disney universal crossover they bought the rights to put disney characters on the playing cards so they could get more uh interest and market share so it's sort of a very fascinating company it has a really long history they were founded in the 1800s um and I don't think that much of that history is going to be particularly germane to what we're going to see there. I certainly don't think there's going to be hourly hotels on property. Um, but the thing that I love about it in the more contemporary sense is they have such a great understanding of sort storytelling in a simplistic way that you can go to people that are 80 years old right now or eight years old, and they know and love these characters. And if you saw you know, a question mark on a cube-shaped box – people would instantly know what that is if it was in the right font. And it's just, it's pretty amazing to me that with such a simple aesthetic, they've been able to create such a connection to such a really huge audience. And to me, that means that's just, it's going to be relatively easy to make an immersive, interesting experience there um, that's going to connect with a lot of people. So I think it was a good choice in that respect. Um, Would you guys agree with that or thoughts? Yeah, I remember going back to when Universal announced they had the rights to Harry Potter and were opening the, you know, announced that they were doing a Hogsmeade and doing an addition onto Islands of Adventure. And I was actually at Disney World at the time. uh, And I still remember being at Pop Century talking to my dad over the phone. I was like, man, the only thing Disney could do to counter a Harry Potter uh, experience like this would be Star Wars. And then we all obviously know what happened a few years later with them getting Star Wars, adding that on. And so in my mind, the next logical step that would be the the counter to that from the Universal side was Nintendo. The worlds are so immersive. It's such a large uh, catalog to choose from. 
And it's a lot like Disney classic animated films where, you know, we can all we all have our favorite classics. We can all go back to it, even though technology is advanced to the state of, uh, you know, the, the, the films that we're getting today. It's the same with Nintendo. I've got a PS4 up here, you know, play Xbox One computer games, but I can pull out an old NES system and play those old 8-bit games and still love them. Uh, as if it was the first time I was playing on back, you know, in the in the early mid 80s. So I love what they have access to and the characters they have access to. And just, uh, you know, they can let their imaginations run wild on this section of the park and, and you know, fulfill so many dreams of, of gamers uh, all over the world and, and seeing these things actually come to life. I, I think in some ways it's like they're almost Sherlocking Wreck-It Ralph without touching the IP. It's yeah. like that, you know, there's been a proof of concept as to the viability of people uh, you know, being interested in this sort of thing. And I, I think it's, I think it's a smart play. And I mean, it, what's funny to me is when, when we first heard about Star Wars land, there's going to be some, you know, aesthetics that we all probably had in our head. And, you know, we probably didn't, uh, nobody would guess the exact layout or anything, but we all had, you know, a few things that, yeah, that's definitely got to be there. Right. But for the most part, there was a lot of uncertainty as to what it would actually look like. But where, when I think of Nintendo, like there's such, there's so many, there's so many few, such a small number of primitive like visual components that all of those games were comprised of. Like think there's not going to be turtle shells there. Is there not going to be, you know, Koopa Troopa mushroom guys there? Is there going to be bricks with in question marks? Like you, you sort of know it's like Legos. We know what the pieces look like. There, there's no question about that. And there's essentially an infinite way to put them together, but it still is sort of this modular sort of expandable, easy to build with, uh, language that they have to work with that I think that the results could be really awesome. And we, we have all the reason in the world to believe that they have the competence to do, you know, an excellent execution on this because we've seen what they can do with IP. That's much more complex. Well, that's unless they go with the Disney approach to Star Wars and they base this uh, on uh, a land based on Mario's brother, Cario, and his Mario, brother, Mario Luigi. Luigi's brother, Steve. <laughs> and, and, and it's their uh, electrical, you know, uh, they're electricians <laughs> instead of plumbers. They could really they could screw this up if they if they go the Disney route. But I have a feeling they're not going to do that. So the question related to all of that is, is the land almost, the, the colors in the land, the, the blockiness of a, a Mario area, is that going to be interesting enough visually? Or is it going to be almost uh, like Toy Story Land-like, where yeah. you, you, you run that risk? I, I agree. If there's, I, I agree that if there's any sort of obvious risk, it's that. I think it's a risk, but it's a fun risk to take because we've never seen anything like that before. I mean, Disney would just build, you know, another rockwork structure sure. and call it so, like how many times are we going to see the same thing as they are put in some of these parks? The 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 unique aesthetic of a Mario world that is very appealing to me. And I like that they're going to maybe hopefully take that risk. So, I mean, the, the one advantage that does exist with the four somewhat different layouts here is you're probably going to have things that are more dimensional that aren't based on a two-dimensional property like Mario, like Nintendo in general. So you're going to have dimensional things over in any Harry Potter or spirited or uh, fantastic beasts area. You're going to have dimensional things over in a universal monsters area and how to train your dragon area as well. So there's at least that where even if the Nintendo area is ultimately deemed the kitty area and it is simplified like a toy story, then then that's fine too. So um, it'll certainly be interesting. I'm intrigued by the ride concepts, to be honest with you. I don't know. Did you guys see what the um, 
Donkey Kong ride concept was. Uh, I saw I the model. I saw the model of that, and it looked awesome. So, uh, Josh, did you see this? I did not. Okay, so essentially, you have a roller coaster, tr- an actual roller coaster track below uh, that you can't see, and the vehicles that guests are getting onto are on a large extended arm. And so they can jump the track and basically have uh, make it look like they jumped the track. So uh, I don't know from just a weight balance standpoint how this would work, but uh, the idea behind it seems like a really cool idea where you've got a regular track underneath it with a long extendo arm. So you could like jump barrels and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. It, it looks like their car's running on a fake track. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. That's yeah. above the actual track. It looks really cool. It's funny because that we had a not exactly the same, but a similar idea for the, for the Mickey and Minnie's railroad ride that mm-hmm. I, I think we, we can at least take some credit for the notion that uh, misleading guests is what the actual track structure is, is probably. Oh, absolutely. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, to that point, you had mentioned Josh, the uh, we've, we've discussed ideas for a Wreck-It Ralph ride, uh, a Wreck-It Ralph racing ride. And, I think similar concepts from what we discussed back in that uh, would have to be uh, considered for Mario Kart. And I don't know how they're doing the Mario Kart ride. I had some thoughts on that that we can get into later. But uh, I understand, Ben, you perhaps had a, uh, a concept for a ride or two or just takes on things that we know already. Well, yeah. And first off, on the Mario Kart, based on some of the reporting that's been done by Alicia Stella and uh, some of the other stuff that's out there, it looks like it'll be a dual track uh, racer, very similar to Radiator Springs uh, racers, okay. uh, to where you'll have two cars with guests in it going side by side. But throughout the uh, attraction, other cars will come up next to you that will feature different characters from the Mario gotcha. Kart game. Uh, so it said it was relying very heavily on physical sets. Uh, there were some... Um, patents that we're seeing this week that were showing how they might simulate speed in some of the areas. Uh, she, one they've thing they've done that in Kong and uh, Fast and Furious, essentially. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the way to do it. The, the one thing it was, I found interesting that it noted is that this uh, attraction might go a lot slower than what we actually think. Uh, and, and there'll be a lot of uh, simulations of the speed as opposed to seeing right. just flat out speed. Uh, but from everything okay we've heard, yeah, yeah. A, uh, a slow-moving track-based attraction is still infinitely faster than a completely screen-based one where you're just sitting there. I, I agree. I think, I think they use, and again, we discussed this, the, the concept is still very much there. We discussed this as, on a Wreck-It Ralph idea where you had like a, a speed tunnel, for lack of a better explanation, yep. and it almost created like a multiplane camera effect where maybe you have physical props in the foreground and the speed tunnel is the background, and that really creates the, uh, the sense of motion, even if the vehicles are only going a few miles an hour. I mean, anyone who sat at a red light and had the car, like a big truck next to them, move a little bit and makes it, yeah. makes it feel like you take your foot off the brake i mean that's a very very convincing effect so right i think, right. I think if you specifically design something to to create that illusion it, it will work very well yeah and i think i think that the the speed isn't even the thing i'm worried about the most you know the, whatever they want to do to simulate that's awesome it's just making sure there's plenty of physical effects and physical props right. uh throughout the ride that we're not just basically you know experience in a video game we, we want to see this stuff come to life and by all accounts that's what it sounds like they're going to do now, there is some irony in the fact that one of their l- their least video game like recent rides might be based on video game IP. There, there's that. Um, yeah. you, you know, so if there's any pitch meeting where you could see creative justifying being heavily reliant on screens, it would be something that is literally being pulled out of a video game. 
Now, Ben, were you uh, of the impression that this was going to be an active or passive experience? Where like you would be able to control the speed of the vehicle to a certain extent. Oh no, I think it's pass. I think it's very okay. much on that radiator springs uh, type concept. I think you, it would yeah, have to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would have to be. Now, if what they're doing is radiator springs related and slot car related, I'm not sure if that's the best approach here. I mean, we we suggest trackless vehicles for a lot, but I think that in a situation like this, trackless vehicles is the way to go. And what you could also do, because Mario Kart is known for having the different characters uh, uh, in the driver's seat for these things. Is you could have different characters in the driver's seat and then us sitting behind it or next to them. Um, and then if you go if you go trackless, uh, if it's only two, great. If it's four, good as well. I mean, one of the thoughts that I had is like the original N sixty four Mario Kart was one of those first video games that, and I guess GoldenEye, where you could have four people playing and have it really be a truly uh, four player experience. So trying to replicate that somehow would be kind of cool. You have to the, the 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 main display on the ride is like a big TV with a piece of cardboard taped halfway on it. <laughs> Not quite what I was thinking of, but the fact that you could have four people uh, or four different vehicles racing um, would would be pretty darn cool. That would be cool. But even on the two car one, you know, I I'd look. You know, this isn't something that Radiator Springs took advantage of, but uh, I remember as a kid going slot car racing with my dad all the time. And those mm-hmm. cars were lined up in the slots and they they zigged and they zagged and they crisped and they crossed. And, and you don't have to stay in your lane the whole time That's on true. a concept That's like true. this. So you could make these cars uh, actually look like they are simulating a much more of a race. We've also... Uh, I have no idea if this is going to be part of this, but we have seen uh, the patent out there about Universal developing a uh, kind of a way to make the cars drift into corners. Uh, so maybe that shows up in this rate. I can't think of any other attraction they would do that besides a Mario Kart. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to make the front axis stay in its spot, but making the rear ones swing out wide when they go in those turns uh, like we're all used to in playing Mario Kart. I think that simulation could be amazing. I think that can also be accomplished with a um, with those trackless vehicles. If you have just the ability for the vehicle to fo- fully rotate, you can make it look like that with appropriate speed. And I think because of game mechanics with Mario Kart, like the uh, the shells kind of uh, stopping you and causing you to disrupt, uh, having actual pitch and yaw in the vehicles as well. If you could replicate getting hit by a shell and maybe not bouncing up 20 feet in the air like you do in the game but having some level of disruption or you slip on a banana peel and you um you do a 360 any of those things that can be incorporated into it would be incredible if they can find a way to do it well they do you know there is the rumored uh, augmented reality goggles uh being added to this attraction i wonder if that's how a lot of that you know that the banana peels and shells and stuff could appear uh in your goggles. And so that would make a customized experience each race, or if it would be the same video that would go across in everybody's goggles each time, uh, that could be a way to get some interactiveness into the ride though. Uh, is that a cop out doing an augmented reality? I don't know. I mean, how else you, how else would you do it though? I don't know. I think there's a, there's a high risk of it coming off gimmicky when you do things like yeah. that. That, that, that's the concern. I mean, so a thought that I had is again, if you're going, if you're going trackless, then any one of those things, a star, a shell, any of those things could also be on a trackless path. And if there are, if there's the ability for your vehicle to effectively open up and absorb one of those things during the course of the ride, 
it would be remarkably complicated, but impressive as hell if it could pull off where you actually see a physical prop going in. I, I don't think that's totally ridiculous in today's technology. And if this is, this is going to be what people are most excited about for this park. So do you, I don't know if I did a good job of explaining that, but basically having the vehicles absorb the things that make contact with it, uh, with some sort of opening with it. I mean, I think this is a slight derailment and I don't mean it to be, but I think one thing that that universal is going to have to be somewhat careful about as they craft these attractions is making sure that they actually understand what it is that made these games great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually quite a bit more difficult than it originally seems, because even in the the mid 2000s, when PlayStation and Xbox were crushing Nintendo in terms of graphics quality, Nintendo still had a respectable market share because they had some really deep understanding of gameplay that sure. almost that was that was better than what almost anyone else had. So I think anyone who's played Mario, I've never really met anyone who said, I hate Mario Kart. That game sucks. You just don't. I don't, I don't I think know. ISIS, maybe? Are. ISIS isn't yeah. a fan? <laughs> but I think if you were to ask him, why do you like it? Um, all of a sudden, you're going to have a lot less articulate responses. So, yeah. you know, what is it? Would If you spend, you know, X number of millions of dollars designing whatever apparatus is necessary to absorb the stars, you know, and the shells and whatever, you better make sure that it actually is tying into the thing that makes people love it in the first place. And I don't know. If not, it's just a racing game, is that as exciting? That's what I'm trying to get at here is that there is a true level of competition and, you know, strategy and playing and not really strategy. But you know what I mean? That like there are game mechanics that I think help Mario Kart. And if you eliminate a bunch of those game mechanics, then you have stripped it down right. to well to a racing game. I'm, I'm go- oh, go ahead. I was just saying, Gary and I play a lot of video games, uh, Gary Hall, and um, we have always commented we've tried pretty much every racing game you can think of and we always end up going back to ones that are very arcade like and a lot of people would say we like the the racing games that are the worst ones because they're the least (laughs) accurate they're the least technical they're the least detailed but they're the most fun so it's an interesting genre in that to a lot of people the better you make it the worse it is so finding that sweet spot to where it's not too you know kitty like but it's also the maximum amount of fun uh, is a delicate line to walk. That's yeah. why I, th- yeah. I think I think we have a good example right down the road uh, right now. That's and that's where we have to figure out the fine line on when you're making a an attraction based on a video game. Yes, we are all you know automatically thinking how do we can incorporate some kind of uh, gameplay into the attraction, but that's not necessarily been the driving factor behind uh, Smuggler's Run down the road. You know, in fact, there's been a lot of you know obviously complaints on if you don't know how to pull off the gameplay in it, your experience is worse. So I would, I just hope whatever they do here, yes, it might have a, a, a tinge of gameplay to it, but the most important thing is pulling off a great attraction that yeah. is great every single time a person rides it, and their enjoyment level is not based on if they're a gamer or not and, and can know how to pull off the things that they have to do on the attraction. I, th- I think you need to, I want to enjoy an attraction while I'm on it and not have to worry too much with, you know, doing any heavy lifting myself. The active versus passive question. If you're going to make this an active game, that's a much higher degree of difficulty here. I think and it's impossible. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> fair I'll, enough. And let me tell you why. When I, the last time I went to a job interview for a, a professor job, the first question they asked is they said, imagine you have a classroom where 
10% of the people are way above average, 10% are way below, you know, 20% are sort of okay, but doing fine. Then you got a few stragglers. It's like, that's the first question, because if you're going to address a large group of people in an interactive way that requires some degree of skill and performance, you can't possibly do that without recognizing that that's not a monolithic group. You have all of these individuals in there. So if you're a theme park creator and your objective is to produce an attraction that the masses are going to find appealing, then the more interactive they are, the more the more alienation you're, the more alienating you're going to do of various subsets of people within that big group. So I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it. By the way, I want to be clear about what my point is here. My mm-hmm. point is that if you want to make an attraction that's going to be everybody's favorite or has a chance of being, you can't do it that way. If you want to make something, if you have a you know a core set of attractions that are for the masses, and then you're going to create individual experience for each of those subsets of groups, then fine, do it. And parks do that, right? Why do we have little kitty coasters in parks? Is it because everyone who loves coasters is going to go ride it? No, it's going to be because some members of the overall group that you serve can't ride on the big attractions, and they're going to like that. So when I look at Smuggler's Run, I don't consider that a failure, even if it is going to be a disappointing experience for people who don't know how to operate it. I look at it as an attraction that is tailored for some, for some group of people that is not everyone who might go into that park. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges that creatives and theme park design in the next 10 years are going to have to face, is how in the world do you serve this whole group of people? Out of curiosity, I think I know Ben's opinion of this, but Josh, what do you think of Toy Story Mania? Um, I, I've, I think I've actually said it before. I think it's a waste of a, of a ride system because okay. you're just getting transported in front of different screens. There's, you know, the physical sets are non-existent, essentially. Okay. So, um, ben, same question. Uh, I loved it when it first came out, but it's steadily just taken a step back every time a new technology and a new attraction comes out. It, it okay. is not held its spot. Uh, like it did in the first couple of years it was around. I enjoy it, but it's uh, far from my favorite thing at the parks. Do you like, uh, do either of you like Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin better or worse than it? Better. Okay. Ugh. I think, I think if I, get, a, if I get, if I can see where I was shooting better, it is <laughs> a enough. less competent ride in some ways, but to me, it's a, it's a more fun experience. I like the building better. I like sure. the history of what it is. I have a nostalgic connection to that space. It is, it's all physical sets, basically. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it, it at least is. They're not pro- elaborate physical sets, but at least they're physical they're not, sets. But it's a proper implement. But the way that you interact with them is that the Omnimover system takes you by them, right? Uh, you know, an right. alternate implementation of Toy Story Mania would be that they park you in front of one screen and then just shift the various, you know, games from one screen exactly, to another. Exactly. And it would be no different from an interactive point of view. So so we can we can discuss the uh, Toy Story Mania in greater detail, but I, I assume that we are all on the same page that Men in Black Alien Attack is the best version of a shoot 'em up ride that's in Florida, right? Yeah. By, so. by far. Okay. Yeah. So with that you've got the physical sets. The the gameplay across all three though, to to Josh's point here about what we can accept for interactivity is still pretty basic. You have a target, you have a bad guy, whatever it may be, you have a single mechanism that you need to learn during the ride. Aim and shoot. That's pretty much it. The difference being that in some instances you have performance that affects your score, and in others, like Smuggler's Run, you have a situation where performance affects your experience. Right. So So, that's, that's a big difference. 
It is. And you can also argue, though, and I've seen this with uh, with my nine year old nephew, that the score is part of the experience and there is a emotional weight that comes with that. But to your greater point that you are actually seeing a physical representation other than numbers uh, right. uh, changing on there. So um, I think that the lesson potentially learned from Smuggler's Run is that if you want to appeal to the masses as opposed to a subset, as Josh described, that the passive experience is really what they should go for here. Yep. I, I don't think it's it's realistic in anything other than a 100% simulator to do it any other way. Yep. I, I just think it's unrealistic. So, good. We're in agreement there. And that's, that's why my uh, right idea is a completely passive experience as well. What is your right idea? So, uh, a year and a half ago, I wrote an article for Attractions Magazine going over my top 10 ideas. Uh, Humble brag. <laughs> yes, humble brag. Go back and read it. Uh, the sad part is I can't remember what I wrote, uh, and I'm too lazy to go back and look it up. I'm kidding. Uh, it, it, it had <laughs> it had some easy ones in there. It had Zelda, uh, Zelda attraction. It had you know I think a Luigi's Mansion dark ride would be amazing, but with the Universal uh, Classic monsters, I don't know if that's needed anymore. Uh, there's also you know attractions like a Metroid that's been around forever, but uh, I actually had one come up recently that i think man this could actually be a pretty damn fun idea uh and it's based on the attraction right now that uh is massively popular uh that's already universe universal's already built and i would love to it might be a cop-out saying hey take that one attraction and pop it over here like but they've done it before there's a history of taking ride concepts that are popular in one park and and doing it at another park but uh I'm going to go classic classic uh, NES and uh, I would love to take the uh, ride concept from Hagrid's and make an excite bike roller coaster. Mm. That and would be a lot of fun. I that think that would ride. be a, and you yeah. can build your own track with excite bike. So maybe there's your interactive component. There, that, uh, that, or I'm thinking though, the simple thing to do is, is having one or two, you know, maybe it's, I know they already have the intertwined racing attraction on the other side of the park in a section of the park. We have no idea what it's connected to, uh, in the weirdest position ever, uh, that's over by, uh, <laughs> how to train your dragon. But that's another discussion for another day. Uh, but I am thinking, yeah, you had, you know, an excite bike, it had four racers next to each other. Is there a way to design an attraction that had, two, three, four tracks lined up next to each other. We know that the uh, the ride concept over at Hagrid's is, is is popular. The ride system itself is very, very popular. Something that people just rave about is the uh, the feeling of speed, the feeling of acceleration, getting to sit on that bicycle-like seat. Uh, I've done it firsthand myself, and like I've said, it the, the night version of that is probably my favorite attraction at any of the parks. The day version is right up there with my absolute favorites as well, but the night version... Uh, where everything's very low to the ground, the the acceleration and speed that you feel on that ride, uh, I think they could do that again and do it to a bigger extent and go with one of their classic. You know, I don't think anybody's sitting around going, "We should make an Excite Bike attraction." But when you look at that ride, uh, that that the, that vehicle system, it would fit perfect with uh, with that kind of concept. Would it be too simple though? I, I worry about like Tim's comment about the simplicity of the Nintendo land. Would that be when you have Hagrid's there, if people get off Hagrid's and then go ride a similar type of system that's basically not themed, is that going to be an underwhelming experience? Possibly, possibly. But I think there's, there's, you know, that th you could do theming, you could make it set up as a race setup. I don't know exactly how they're going to do it with Mario Kart, 
but you know, in Excite Bike, it was set up like you were in an arena setting. There was there was a stadium, there was a crowd around you, uh, yeah. and you, you were taking place in a motocross event. So uh, there is theming that you could take from that game and, and and build around it and build out that idea a little bit more. Uh, but I think the racing concept itself of you going against other people that we might not be getting in Mario Kart, maybe we could get it in a way on this an attraction like this and and have a lot of fun with it. I don't know. It, I. I for some reason, it wasn't on my original list back when I was thinking of this stuff, but also Hagrid's wasn't around at that time. And I had not been able to experience something like uh, like that myself uh, firsthand. So now that I've seen that ride system, it uh, wouldn't bother me at all if they figured out another way to uh, incorporate that into this new theme park. Something related to that as well with a, with a something like Excite Bike and similar with... Um, if you were to do like a Super Mario World as opposed to a Mario Kart, those maps, the navigation is linear. Uh, not that it's a huge deal, but you couldn't necessarily have an Excite Bike track be a straight line. You'd have to have it be a circle of some sort. Correct, uh, correct. And that, that's where uh, the that's either. a minor concession that you'd yep. have to make. But um, just just things to consider as well uh, to the to it being too primitive. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like. You've got you've got those like very steep jumps where you just kind of go yep. straight up in the air in the in the mm-hmm. game. I don't know physically how how that can be done uh, on a track and have it be done safely, other than perhaps the Donkey Kong concept. If that's perhaps yep. the way to do it, but because um, you, you're going over, you're physically going over jumps and getting airtime. That perhaps not the Hagrids, but the Donkey Kong concept might be the better way to do that. Uh, but perhaps if you can combine the two, even better. They had the chance to really blow us away. Do you guys remember the the box art? Do you remember the box art for original like uh, Nintendo games? Oh yeah, it, it was such great like eight bit artwork stuff. Like I would love to see like some of that signage in these lands. I mean that that would be a total yeah. nostalgia. Dude, a, attraction T shirts done. Oh, as, oh absolutely. absolutely. I would buy. I'd buy everyone. Yep. <laughs> I like the idea of an excite bite ride. That's that's a, a a cool concept. I just again, you don't know how to pull it. Off. You don't necessarily know how they can pull it off. Yeah, I want that, and I also want a Mike Tyson meet and greet. Like, <laughs> he's probably available I mean, <laughs> it's the cheapest thing we'll have uh best show on tv right now uh mike tyson mysteries That's pretty uh, good. it is definitely a guilty pleasure <laughs> but yeah actually i saw when i was in cooperstown last month uh there were uh screen grabs of mike tyson's punch out signed by mike tyson i should have grabbed one they're yeah those are very 150 cool. bucks but still pretty cool that uh that whole expansion plot that's between the classic horror monsters and the uh and nintendo land i mean that's that's pretty obvious that's all going to nintendo correct probably i mean so i don't know did you guys listen to the latest uh, jim and len show today i have not no. listened to that one today okay then I, w- I won't spoil it but they talk about the they talk about this and they don't necessarily go into the future of it but one thing they did say is that this very well may be targeted at the convention crowd and the individual lands are likely to be isolated enough so that you can rent out a specific land uh, hmm. as part of your corporate event, uh, which I thought was an interesting concept, but also yeah. might might give an idea as to some level of differentiation. And I believe Alicia made a point about going into different portals into the uh, from the center hub. And uh, I don't know, Ben, did you see anything related to that as a way to, like, distinguish the areas? I saw that same deal in and they were talking about the access roads on the outside perimeter that could you could enter these sections from the outside. Okay. In. Uh, but I love that idea, honestly, because I don't think there's I hate it 
when I go to a theme park and find out that they're closing early at eight o'clock because somebody's mm-hmm. rented the park out for four hours and it's at the expense of my full day pass. Sure. If this, if this means that Nintendo is closed down early, but I still have access to the other three lands, I'm cool with that. It, it, that, yeah. that, that does not bother me nearly as bad as the, uh, the other way around. And, uh, you know, you might say that it doesn't happen much, but I think we all have stories where we've we've gone to a park and we've realized it's closing early. I happened on my last trip uh, that somebody rented out uh, Islands of Adventure, uh, the, the Hogsmeade area, but they closed the whole park early because of that. So, yeah, uh, no, I, I think this is a really, really, really smart idea. And it's a you know, they make a lot of money during those corporate uh, rentals. So, you know, as long Let's as they reinvest on that is, money, though. you just kind of cited it usually universal will use it as an excuse to close the entire park. They'll just mm-hmm. only allow people in a certain area. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't have the park hours that Disney generally has um, with a handful of exceptions. Uh, I mean, right now with Hagrid's they're extending hours just to get people on that well, thing. The, but. Studi- Studios park this summer was also extended to 10 o'clock at night as well. And that okay. was, that was pre Hagrid's uh, you know, when, when we go on our trip in November, they do have a seven o'clock closing during the week, eight o'clock on the weekend. Uh, but it's not pre, you know, prime season where they we're going there a little bit before the busy time. But uh, even with the summer, they, they have steadily started to extend their hours. It's not, it's not a, uh, go-to punchline like it had been in the past. They, they, they do have their times where they are staying open later. And frankly, Disney's closing earlier and earlier these days too. And they don't get nearly the grief, uh, that universal got back in the past. So that's one thing to look at as well. Is there enough demand for a how to train your dragon land i don't think so not for me <laughs> i mean if that's a kitty section if they kind of build it out as you know uh, a, a european or scotland se- i mean there, there's enough european vibe with fantastic beasts and to a lesser extent uh, universal classic monsters as i said before um I, I, <laughs> now now the question then becomes what if they do flight of passage where you're actually on a dragon as opposed to simulating on a dragon? I mean, I, I, yeah, I think that this does kind of go to an avatar argument where how to train your dragon is far from my favorite DreamWorks film, but I like the first one. Well, in this, the same with avatar, I like avatar, but I don't Mm -hmm. love avatar, but I love the attraction that they gave us from it. And so I think they could do the same thing here where, you know, it, it might not be, Shrek or whatever that that tends I don't I don't know the world box office uh you know cumes of the the, the last How to Train Your Dragon how that plays into everything else with the with their catalog of movies but uh yes it does lend itself to a story and characters that could develop a really amazing attraction but it it almost screams redoing Flight of Passage like <laughs> there, there's a risk there, much much like mm-hmm. Disney doing a uh, what yep. appears to be a barebone Spider-Man ride on the heels 15 yep. years later of one of the best rides ever created. Doing, I mean, Josh, what did you say about Toy Story that it it, it doesn't need a ride system? Yeah. It looks like we're going to double down on that with the Spider-Man ride, and we talked about yeah. that I think in the last show. But the obvious thing to do with a How to Train Your Dragon Land is ride a dragon. I mean, we we've done that, you know, a few miles up the road, so. I do like that the dragons are cute and kind of look like cats. But beyond that, I'm pretty much indifferent <laughs> on this whole property. I think they almost have to do that as a coaster, right? And, you know, dragon-themed coaster in Universal. I, I don't know that yeah, they've ever been done there. that before. Deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we just get rid of that? <laughs> yeah, I've got some great pictures of that in the scrapyard right now. If anyone wants to see it. I, I, th- I think they're definitely taking a shot at Flight of Passage. Okay. I, I, I think they wouldn't pick that as a... Uh, 
cornerstone piece of a park uh, without thinking that was, you know, that they've seen, they've seen the numbers that flight of passage has pulled over the years. They've seen how that thing has not uh, died down uh, wait time wise. If they have an idea that is on par with that, uh, I, I totally see that being the direction they go. But yeah, this, they do run the risk of this being like the uh, Lego movie land attraction that's over at Legoland. Now that's a very, very, very small scale version of a, flight of passage attraction yeah. that that would be a total failure but uh, the other thing i would say like in the concept art this is the part of the art that seems to be if any part could be cut off a little bit this would be the section sure. and so while we are guessing that it's how to train your dragon it's i think it does lend itself that it could be an expanded part maybe that's a small section of it uh you know there were villages as well like in the shrek movies there, there, there's there's design in there that could lend itself to a few of the other dreamworks attra- uh uh, properties and uh, maybe it's maybe it's built out into a bit more of a DreamWorks land. Sure. Maybe it is how to train your dragon by itself. But uh, I don't know if we got the full idea on what this land is going to be based on how that artwork was cut off. Uh, that was that was distributed. When discussing the future of Hollywood Studios over the last ten years, something that kept on coming up was not a Toy Story land, but a Pixar land. And then the question we may have even asked on this show is: Is Pixar a theme? And I think there are ways that it can be, or combining certain properties could work. Uh, I think the same potential question could exist for DreamWorks. But I think when you're looking at properties that are generally geared towards children, you can afford to simplify things. You can afford to find a way that all of these characters might come together, uh, much in the same way that Fantasyland exists with a bunch of different, for the most part, European fairy tales. And usually there's a handful of exceptions where uh, while Winnie the Pooh is European-based, it generally doesn't fit that bill, or adding it's a small world into that area. Generally, people don't complain about that unless they're uh, they're me and think that it goes in Epcot. Um, I don't know if DreamWorks itself would, would fall under the same potential question that that in itself isn't a theme, but I think that's the more logical play here. And yep. how you integrate it all together, all right, there are people smarter than us to uh, to determine that, I guess. But. Yeah, I mean, th- there's already like a Sh- Shrek reboot in the works. Uh, yeah. They're looking at redoing that. So that makes total sense to go back in there. Uh, they they built attractions based on DreamWorks uh, r- movies around the world. There's a great Madagascar boat yeah. ride uh, that's overseas that I've wished, you know, having two young kids. It's a perfect attraction that I think w- the Universal is desperately needed for a while. Uh, that would fit great over here. And those, you know, if you look at the box office of DreamWorks films, they do quite well. So yeah. the, the, there is a cachet with them. People do recognize these characters. Uh, I do wonder if we'll see an uptick in some of these movies coming back uh, around or, or, you know, sequels or more remakes coming through to kind of uh, prop up this uh, area of the park. But, you know, Shrek, Shrek's money, the, the the Shrek attraction that's at Universal right now is old and dated. And you literally can call it up on Netflix right now and watch it in your home if you want to. Oh, it's an uh, awful attraction. Yeah, so, uh, but it's great characters, and, and great I think, characters, great pre-show, awful yeah, attraction. Yeah, so I, I would, I would love to see what they could do on a grander scale uh, with those characters, and and I have a feeling down the road, if it's not at the initial opening of the park, there's also that expansion area in that area. Uh, maybe, maybe you just see more DreamWorks build out at some point in there. So we'll see. I, I think they, uh, they definitely have some interesting choices to make down the line. Josh, beyond Nintendo, do any of the other lands intrigue you? The only one that has some interest to me really would be the classic Monsters Land. 
and I'm not really sure what you do with that. I mean, the immediate thought I had is how would that tie in with their Halloween Horror Nights? Um, and I don't, I'm really not a much of a connoisseur of classic monster movies. I mean, I know the obvious ones like, mm-hmm. you know, Mummy and Dracula and Frankenstein. I believe those are all universals. Um, you know, I, I don't really know. I, I didn't see any indication or art or any allusions to what they actually are going to do with those or what that land actually means. I don't know if you guys did, but I do think, again, it's more like I, I think the genre could be good more than that gets me excited more than I think those particular characters are awesome. But I think most people know Frankenstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot you could do there, I guess, but I'm not sure the things that I think off the top of my head would be angle or directions you could go with those would probably be haunted house type things, which I'm, I'm not sure that's a whole land. It sounds like more of an idea for an attraction. It kind of works for Liberty square. Land. I mean, not that there aren't other things in there, but I mean, if that's, if that's the take and it's universal's take on a haunted house with, you know, 21st century technology and it's, animatronics of you know half a dozen or a dozen universal classic monsters that could be pretty awesome and yep. as a uh, as a true dark ride going through it and <laughs> i mean if, if their if their approach to this is all right we're going to go after flight of passage and haunted mansion with two of our attractions here kind of bold yep well and i guess the one thing uh, from a strategic point of view it's one thing we've talked on this very episode about perhaps a universal is responding to what Disney has done, but the, the stronger move is to do things that Disney can't do, right? There are some areas where Disney has a strategic advantage, either because of their IP or whatever, but the demographic that Thank Disney you, Bob serves limits <laughs> them, right? Yeah. Um, on the last episode of kingdom cast, we talked about extraterrestrial encounter, yeah, yeah. which was the yep. intermediate attraction before stitch and how that was too intense for the crowd that Disney wanted to serve. Um, so if Universal wanted to use its technology and its, you know, creative might to deliver, you know, the ultimate haunted house experience as a permanent attraction as opposed to yeah. a walkthrough type experience, um, that might be a way to leverage the difference in demographics that they serve in a way that is going to leave Disney unable to respond to it. Oh, absolutely. yeah, that, and that's what I that's what I love about Universal is they're not afraid to go to that next level. You know, with, with, yeah, with, with, with like Hollywood Horror Nights, they let you know if you're. 18 and under 20. This is not for kids. Don't come. Don't bring your kids. Whereas Disney's like, how do we make a party and cater it to every age group? It is literally Uh, called the not so scary party. Yeah. And and, you know, it's a little on the nose. (laughs) I, I I have a eight year old, a seven year old nearly who, uh, she can't get on the Hulk. She has to walk by it every single time and just is dying to get on there. And she's an inch too short to do it, but she's been going to universal forever. They, they weren't like, how do we cater this extreme roller coaster to where as many people can get on this as possible? No, it's 52. Daddy, inches. I want it's, my ears to bleed yep. too. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, so th- they're just not afraid to do stuff that does cater to that older crowd and older audience, which yep. makes a haunted house, you know, and a, a more mature version of the haunted mansion. So incredibly appealing to me that if they pulled that off and did that, chances are that would be my favorite attraction in that park. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much intrigue there and I don't know what the other move is. I think as, as we've suggested here, a haunted house, but it can't be vanilla. It can't just be, Oh, there's Wolfman. Oh, there's Frankenstein. They need to, it it almost needs to be like a, a good haunted hayride or a recreation of a, um, Halloween Horror Nights house with with a full on 
cast in it. I mean, right. there's a few different ways you can do it. You can do it AAs, uh, but if you've got it with a cast as well and you can really make it scary, then more power to it them. Can't be the, it can't be these monsters making cameos. It has to be them trying to kill you. Right, yeah. right. And they've kind of done a little bit of that in the Kong queue with a scare actor uh, in the queue, but maybe f- fully flush that out and put it in an attraction. <laughs> I want to do it with robots. I always prefer machines <laughs> to people. That's just uh, that's one thing I've been fast in. And I was going to make a, a robot, you know, uh, reference here. The Megatron's trying to kill you the whole time in Transformers. <laughs> you know, uh, they're, they're shooting at you. They're trying to kill you the whole time. So they're they're not worried about your safety in these rides. So <laughs> yeah, do, in, in the storyline wise, so do it with with these monsters. Yeah, have have a real threat the entire time that you're on there. You're not supposed to be in this place, and you know it. And they're trying to get you out, or they're just trying yeah. to take care of you and and. and and get you out. So I love that is the approach of the universal ride. Everything's going hard or something goes horribly wrong or just at the outset, something is trying to kill you. Uh, Those are pretty much the, the ride stories for all of them. But again, you're in a, you you gotta, you gotta simplify it. You have to look at the plot of most movies though. And you'll find that that, that's a recipe that works. Yeah. It's, it's hard to write a movie that's two hours long where the, the idea is that everything's fine the whole time. It's It's Very difficult to get buy-in from your audience if that's the strategy. I will say if they wanted to do, uh, I, I know boat rides are very expensive though, but if they wanted to do something creature from the Black Lagoon boat ride wise, I'd oh, be okay that would, with that. that would, yeah. That's there, a good idea. There, there was one at uh, the the MGM Grand in Las Vegas used to have a theme park in the back called MGM Grand Adventures. And it was not based on, I think it might've been based on Swamp Thing, but if it wasn't an actual IP of, uh, creature from the Black Lagoon or Swamp Thing. It was a uh, very generic take on that, but that was it. It was a boat ride going around this little uh, village area, and the swamp creature would pop up out of the water multiple times and attack your boat. I would, I would it, love that. This fills <laughs> the Jaws void too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And do uh, it and probably without a- better because it, it doesn't have the corniness. Because you, do, how do you make Jaws not corny? You do the whole damn thing in the dark. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and take out the expensive propane and fire. That was everybody, you know, a big complaint on how expensive it was to pull that attraction off. You could you could fill that void that they've had with the uh, with when, ever since Jaws left, but do it in a uh, in a better way, in a much more cost effective way. Yep. And these rides too, by the way, lend themselves extraordinarily to randomization. I mean, oh, yeah. if you're going to have scare rides, you know, this is where you know we. Uh, 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 Galaxy's at what the hell is the name of that attraction? Uh, St- Smuggler's Run. Sorry, yep. my brain's not working well tonight. Um, you know that's all rendered in real time and everything, and that that came at huge expense with technological complexities. But just some simple randomization of show elements in a ride that's designed to scare you can massively increase rewritability, so that oh, people absolutely. don't know exactly when to brace for that moment. Okay, you ready to have your mind blown? Ready? Uh, yes. This, this will, <laughs> this what you going to say, Josh? Blow <laughs> me, Ben. This will this will probably be my final episode of Marty Calls because I'm going to get a call from Universal Creative after this, uh, offering okay. me a job. But we've said Haunted Mansion over and over again, and, and having this be their counter. No. What if this was a scary Mystic Manor? Okay. And there, there's your randomization. There's your trackless system. You don't know where this is going to go every single time. It, it will take you into different rooms where you'll encounter different creatures on different ride experiences. And so you can, it, it's, it's much more random 
in what you might see each time, especially if they're going to do the attraction built on all of the characters at once. If it's not going to be a standalone Dracula attraction, if they're going to incorporate so many characters, make this a trackless type system that will, you know, you're, you're, you're scouring, you might be going through the attraction with two or three other vehicles, but you split off down hallways. You know, that's, that's always been the scary part in these kind of movies is like when you do go off on that hallway and you find out you're going down the hallway by yourself. Right. Uh, here's the good news, Ben. You're still going to be here next episode. Yeah, Son of a bitch. <laughs> no, we, come we, on. We just trackless ride for everything. Like this is a great, <laughs> a great new idea. We just desperately want these things stateside. <laughs> but to, to that point though, I mean, Bastards. it needs, we, we all love haunted mansion, uh, but haunted mansion follows a specific path. Every time it is, Not a scary attraction, probably because we've all ridden it 50 plus times. But to that point, if you genuinely want to scare people, the randomization factor absolutely plays in. And another way that they can do it or a combination of the two is if you have live actors in there, you can switch up who the uh, who the characters are that the live actors are playing. And that in itself is intriguing. And possibly it's because Wolfman called in sick that day. So you get Frankenstein. But those types of things are all conceivable here and we have that blank piece of paper to work with which we don't get to see all that often which is what if cool. every day they just let five random maximum security <laughs> prisoners into the show <laughs> that's not actually a bad premise for the background of the ride not actually do it mind you but no, no. you know <laughs> uh we all know it's just going to be the fusion hologram technology uh that we're going to see with the uh the, yeah. the, the 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 bad guys each time I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see that type of stuff, but yes, you want to see the actual uh, physical props here. And we've uh, given Universal over the years a ration of crap about uh, using screens to a, to a fault. But if you combine these things together, then it's absolutely acceptable. Yep. I want to talk about uh, the various takes on the Harry Potter universe, Fantastic Beasts, Ministry of Magic, whatever it may be. Actually, we could have the uh, prisoners being uh, uh, Azkaban prisoners, and you could just be going into Azkaban, and that's the land. I asked uh, Derek on the last e-ticket report, would you prefer Fantastic Beasts or would you prefer Ministry of Magic? Um, I assume I know the answer for both of you guys, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, Ben, Fantastic Beasts or Ministry of Magic? Well, I'd rather it be Harry Potter, uh, because Ministry of Magic could be in either of those realms. Okay. Uh, so there, there is of mi- magic for Harry Potter is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Ministry okay. of magic does show up in the fantastic beast world. And I guess that could be their out is saying that it is fantastic beast, but it is based on their mystery. I just think the characters from the Harry Potter world are just going to, are, are going to live with the fans much longer. Uh, they've, I think they've already proven that then there's the already proof from the fantastic beast. So I just think if they're, if they were smart, that's the way to go. And just it, it, it's, it's really, honestly, we've already made this joke once about uh, mm-hmm. Galaxy's Edge, but this is the Galaxy's Edge argument. Do you want to make it up? This feels like a Galaxy's Edge choice. Yep. Yep, it is. Yeah. And so, uh, again, with that artwork, though, we don't know. It it, mm-hmm. it, it it could be either one. This is all assumption right now on on what that is. Uh, uh, I'm sure that some of the people reporting that, I you know, they've been very trusted in the past with the news that they've gotten. Uh so I have no reason to believe it's not some of that stuff, but I just think the right choice and they still have time to make this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've already, they're already rethinking the sequels and what they're going to do with those next three films. That's right. not a good sign to build a whole anchor of a theme park around. Whereas I think, you know, I, I think we're just a few years away from seeing Harry Potter and the cursed child, you know, hit, hit the film, it hit, hit the movies. I know JK had always said that they were, you know, there were no plans to do that, but they, they've seen how much that's made on Broadway and touring around the world. That's their next cash cow. 
so it just makes sense to, to stick with Harry Potter. It's worked in the other two parks. Do it over here as well. And, and the nice part is it can be Harry Potter, but if you're doing Ministry of Magic, you don't have to necessarily have Harry and Hermione and, and those characters in there. But I think the value is in the name of that section that you're about to walk into. It just carries so much more cachet to a guest going in there, knowing they're going into a Harry Potter land uh, as opposed to a Fantastic Beast land where, you know, people have seen the Harry Potter movies. There's a really good chance they haven't seen. Uh, they may have seen the first Fantastic Beast and were like, I'm done with this one because I know yeah. a lot of people bailed out after the first. So uh, I, I want to see Ministry of Magic. I think it'll be Ministry of Magic. Uh at, at, at the end of the day, uh, just because it makes sense and it's been rumored for all these years, I just think it's better to set it off in the Harry Potter world than the Fantastic Beasts world. You hit on something that we've discussed in the past of, about a variety of different world-building exercises here. With Ministry of Magic, you don't necessarily need the characters here. And I think that's kind of what Disney was hoping for with Galaxy's Edge, that you don't necessarily need the characters. This is your Star Wars experience, but a level of familiarity still needs to exist. And while the Ministry of Magic exists in both Fantastic Beasts and in Harry Potter, the components you want to see are the Harry Potter components. Uh, the longevity of the Harry Potter franchise uh, is has already been proven to stand the test of time. Um, what I would like to see, and it's the wrong type of park for it, but I, uh, uh, I'm sure you guys have seen those water slides where you're almost putting like a coffin and the floor drops out from underneath you. Yeah. Uh, so you got to do something like that. Uh, you're standing in a toilet, the floor rotates and then drops from beneath you, and then you go into the Ministry of Magic like you do in the movies. So uh, we're going to have to put a water slide to get in there, and that's the only way to get in and out of the land. And, and what I mean that you don't need the characters for that to pull it off on the Harry Potter side, what I mean is you don't need the A-level uh, Harry Potter characters. We've seen there's been no problem, no shortage of getting the C, D, and you know E level ticket right, right. Uh, uh, characters from the Harry Potter world. The Weasley twins are readily available, and you know that's that's all you need. Honestly, yeah. I, it's all you need. Yeah, get a few of those guys. It's had a little bit of familiarity, uh, and and put them in the ride, and that works. It really does. All you need is a redheaded cast member. Tell them it's like the nineteenth Weasley brother, and you're fine. I mean, you can pass that <laughs> off. <laughs> All right. Uh, was there anything else on Epic Universe or do you want to hit a couple of questions before we wrap up? Uh, I just want to say, you know, I, I know we made some jokes early in this and that, but I'm insanely, insanely excited for this. I, I, I love it. Uh, the, the, this is just another shot in the theme park wars where, you know, we all been the, the, the fans that love these parks are the ones that benefit from it. So if Universal and Disney want to keep taking shots at each other like this, I'm all for it. Uh, but I can't wait. I'll be there first year. I can't wait to do this stuff. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. So before we turn to listener customers, listener questions, you're a betting man, as I know from listening to you and Derek. So Except nobody God. ever pays me on my bets. But, uh, what do you think opens first? This new land or Rise of the Resistance in Orlando? <laughs> <laughs> Rise of the Resistance in Orlando, yes. Uh, in California, that's really the the one thing that has missed the mark from just an opening and operation standpoint has been Rise of the Resistance in California. Technically, Rise of the Resistance in Florida is opening in the originally announced time frame, late yeah. fall. Right. Uh, assuming that assuming that it does open when they announced it. Well, I had a theory on that I shared with you, which I think is viable. It's it's not based on any evidence, but um, you know, my thought is if they hit some, if they found some sort of design defect in California, mm -hmm. they may have encountered it first because they were they started the project earlier. So right. it's possible if they have to, you know, it, it's always very slow to redo something. 
So if they were able to avoid a misstep in Florida by virtue of the, the lead that they had in California, maybe that explains it. There's probably a thousand other explanations. I don't really have any evidence to support mine, but that was just one thought I had. To your to your question, and I know that was kind of tongue in cheek. I think yes. being realistic about this, I think Universal has recognized to a certain point that Disney is going to own 2021. That there's enough in anticipation of Disney. There'll be a big marketing push for the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Uh, there's enough new things opening across the board, uh, and every park, with the exception of the Animal Kingdom, is going to have something that's less than 12 months old. Uh, unless they announce something later this month at D23. Uh, but I think they're probably targeting a 2023 opening for this, uh, which is still pretty ambitious. I, I actually think, I've said this before, and I'll, I'll just sort of reiterate it here because I think the timing is right. I think that Universal is masterful at controlling expectations compared to Disney. Oh, and yeah. I, I think to plant these seeds now, let Disney have 2021. And it, it actually serves Universal in a way because they can be quietly toiling away on this. And if mm -hmm. they can really get it done and then bam, you know, 24 months later to 36 months later, uh, you know, drop this. It's, it seems almost effortless the way they do things because it's just like you hear about them and then it seems like no time goes by and all of a sudden they're open and they're impressive. Um, they don't all, they don't always hit though. We got to recognize that, that they, well, nobody open bats a new, a thousand. They, they, they open a new attraction every year, but uh, outside of the Harry Potter universe, they're not hitting on all cylinders there. The last thing that I want anyone to think that I am is an absolutist. I, I'm definitely not suggesting that Disney always screws it up and Universal does it right. <laughs> but I think that there's, I have my confidence level in Universal delivering something that is on time and approximately in line with what we were told to expect is higher than Disney. And I, I have tremendous <laughs> concerns, not the right word because I don't really have a dog in the fight, but as we head into D 23 season, um, my expectation is it's going to be the usual grandiose, you know, out of this park presentation about, you know, how everything is going to be changed and never be the same. And I just, I, I think, I think Disney is doing themselves a disservice with that. I, I'm very interested in doing our first show after D23. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I don't appreciate you insinuating that Fast and Furious was a failure. <laughs> I haven't been on it, but you and my mother-in-law are the only people that seem to like the ride. So, uh, I'm, King Kong was great, though. Yeah, Hagrid's is great. Uh, okay, not, I, I won't necessarily King Kong's great, but it has a line that mm -hmm. seems to show that a lot of people enjoy that still to this day when, when Express Pass is still an hour backed up for to get on that one. Uh, but also, I mean, we have the new Jurassic Park roller coaster coming along, yep. uh, and and they, they kind of work in the shadows. We don't know what's coming after that, so even 2023 is a long ways for this park, but it doesn't look like they're going to slow down at the other two parks either at the expense of building that new park. So no. uh, it'll be interesting to see what we get uh, on a year to year basis leading up to that point. Uh, on defense, in defense of my point, I don't know what your guys said, but I wasn't expecting a lot out of the Fast and Furious ride. So uh, that, that to me wasn't a case where I was expecting something to be great and it sucked. I was expecting it to suck and it, it lived up to what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah, I genuinely. I genuinely like it, but I have a problem. I bet. Yeah, you also said that uh, Country Bear Jamboree is your favorite attraction at Disney World. So I'll die know. on that cross. <laughs> I think that's not the actual expression, but <laughs> <laughs> to our Judeo Christian listeners, we apologize that. <laughs> I, I just want to know if we're going to segue in now and talk about the uh, breaking news of Shark Reef going away at uh, 
Yeah, the Typhoon Lagoon. Thanks, Chris. I was, what, four years old? <laughs> four or five years old, but hey, whatever. I'm going to make an executive decision and uh, call the show right here. <laughs> oh, you don't, want to do the, you don't want to do the listener questions? No, because we're all breaking up. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as I mentioned at the outset here, we're having uh, recording issues. So what I may do is do multiple exits here, but we're going to do one right now. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Marty Called Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to find Josh online, where can we do that, Josh? Utilidors.com. Two O's, the second one for savings. Hope you like and, it. Uh, boop, boop. <laughs> and Ben, where can we find you? Uh, you can find my Skipper Ben Top 10 articles in every issue of Attractions Magazine. And you can find me trolling Diz Twitter at Real Skipper Ben. And you can find me at WDW Theme Parks on Twitter. Uh, I mentioned on the last e-ticket report, uh, the development site of WDW Theme Parks is now live. dev.wdwthemeparks.com. And I would expect later on this week we're going to switch everything over. So if you don't like the new site, tell me now because that's going to be your last chance. Is it supposed to say 404 error on it? It is, actually. I'm on there right now. That's by design. Okay, Uh, (laughs) cool. Working great. And what we may try to do is listen to the end of the show. If it seems like there's a lot more time left over, that's going to be when we answer the listener questions. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good one. Later. Bye, guys. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yep. This is dumb. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're back. (laughs) We did get a couple of questions. Hello to our Patreon uh, subscribers. (laughs) Yes. For our Patreon subscribers. This is a zero dollar subscription. (laughs) This is the champagne room section of the show. We have a couple of questions from uh, from Twitter, and actually, I'm going to call for more. Uh, we have a question as we look in our uh, defunct Marty Call the gmail.com email address. It <laughs> was an email from back in December that we ignored. Uh, so it's not de- it's not defunct. It's just not well cared for. Yes, that too. So uh, que- there's a question from uh, John Patrick Kilty going back to December of 2018 that I think is fodder for a longer episode. Uh, we will circle back to that one but we've got a couple of uh, quick hit questions on twitter and we're going to encourage our listeners to uh, reach out to us at martycall at gmail.com and we'll put a call out uh, probably a day before the next time we're recording um we're going to try to do something shortly after the d23 expo and get some listener questions in there as well so we'd certainly appreciate any uh any feedback and questions from people uh ahead of that so Our two questions this evening. Uh, First one comes to us from Jeff Curtis. 
Did Imagineering have any say in the decision to spend over $1 billion at each park on a destination never seen in any Star Wars movie and to base it off of the new trilogy characters aside from Chewbacca instead of Han, Luke, Leia, R2-D2, and C-3PO? I mean, we can speculate on this, but I'm going to say probably not. Uh, I yeah, don't know I if mean, you guys have any insight. The honest answer is we don't know. Uh, and I, I say that only not to be unhelpful here and non-responsive to the question, but I do care about our credibility and I want to be clear when we're completely speculating, which is pretty much always, I guess, for the entire show. So disregard. But this in particular, <laughs> since, it's, since it's asking a specific question that would require inside knowledge that we don't have, the only answer I can really give is I don't know. I will say this, um, you know, typically in a idealized hypothetical company, your top layer of management is going to set strategic objectives for the company. And as you move down the ranks, you get to more and more tactical type decisions that are intended to make that strat, uh, you know, strategy pan out and, the, and to get the results that, that your bosses have asked for. Um, you know, so the word in here that the pedantic lawyer in me has a problem is, did they have any say in it? Um, you know, I don't know. I would, I would expect at some point that there was, there was dialogue, there was some, you know, objective set by management saying, Hey, here's what we want to do. And I would imagine they probably took proposals uh, as to how to do that. They may have made some directives and, and mandates and said, this is how we're going to do it in some regard. But, you know, I don't think it's, we we comment frequently about how bureaucratic Disney is and how we believe that one of the reasons that they're relatively slow to develop attractions and lands compared to universal is because there's just more, you know, red tape to cut through. So, that red tape makes it very hard to to know exactly what that procedure is. But I expect that it had to go through a lot of people and a lot of revisions and that what we get is essentially the result of many committees and compromises being made. But I don't truly know. I think there's a few different questions here. I think the decision on the budget was not necessarily Imagineering. They may have come up with proposals with different budgetary numbers, but Agreed. the budget is going to be approved by board of directors and ultimately Bob Iger. Now, there was uh, a story from, uh, from Jim Hill that the original proposal for a Star Wars land was done by Chris Beatty as the lead. And he's an Imagineer that uh, most famously worked on New Fantasyland, uh, is... By all accounts, it looks like his strength is art direction. And I believe he was the art director for Galaxy's Edge as well. So when I say his strength is art direction, you got New Fantasyland and Galaxy's Edge on your uh, resume. That's pretty darn good, uh, yep. just from a strict art direction standpoint. But the the story goes, as Jim told it, was that he proposed something to the board of directors. And whatever the budget is, I don't know. But they were underwhelmed. And they wanted they they suggested a higher budget and really to kind of wow them with whatever attractions they were doing. So I wouldn't be surprised if the actual spending amount was ultimately jacked up by the board of directors. And usually as these things go in, they might have approved eight hundred million dollars and there's always overages. What's two hundred million dollars between friends? The other thing here, though, there's two questions about timeline for when it's going to take place with the new trilogy characters as well as where the destination is going to be i think the destination choice very well may have been an imagineering choice i don't know that that was something that non-creatives suggested don't build it in tatooine don't build it on kashyyyk or another uh another known planet uh i suspect they decided that as a approach to 
to to solving the problem of what land do you pick, what what planet do you pick? Right. But I think the the timeline that they're setting this in, I believe that to be a corporate mandate. I don't think that somebody like Scott Trowbridge as the lead here, who pointedly said during the announcement of this that Star Wars gets him moist, uh, <laughs> that he was referring to the, the the new trilogy. And so many of the decisions were based on The Last Jedi and Solo, uh, with, where you have elements like hyperspace fuel and coaxium. Uh, you have other plot points from The Last Jedi represented in the land. And that screams corporate mandate to me. We could be wrong, but it it very much seems to be a corporate mandate where they said, we want you to use these new characters because we're still telling this story. And these movies did ridiculous amounts in the box office so we can move beyond the original trilogy. That's my that, guess. That was a much better answer than mine, Dick. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> And I was going to say, I don't know if Imagineering would have too much problem like with the Rise of the Resistance attraction and the characters that they have incorporated in there, because those two films in the series of Star Wars are insanely, uh, uh, what's the word I want to look here? They, they, they've been a success, at least popular? box office wise, yeah, popular. Absolutely. So building something with Kylo Ren in it and, and those mm-hmm. characters, I don't think that would be something that Imagineers would necessarily fight against and, and, and say that's a bad idea whatsoever. Uh, I do think like when it comes to the uh, smugglers run and they're building it off of characters based on like animated series and stuff like that. I think that's where some of the question marks might've got, gone off uh, in their head, you know, building that right. around characters that nobody is very, is familiar with except for the uh, hardest of hardcore. Uh, but I do, what I think is going to be interesting is if, you know, it, it hasn't been a great success at Disneyland. Uh, we're, we wait to see how it's going to be in, in Florida. But if for some reason these two lands do not lead to major success for Disney, heads are going to roll. And oh, people, absolutely. people will get fired. And that's when we're going to find out when these people start talking because they're going to talk because none of them want to. They're not going to fall down on the sword for Star Wars being a failure if it wasn't truly uh, their fault. So right. I'm I'm fascinated to that uh, part of it. I don't know. Oh, you know, no. I think even when you fire people like that and you want to control publicity, you you, you give them a severance and you put a nice, yeah. you know, non-disparagement clause of the contract and all of a sudden go away and they go on to their next job. When they've been ter- when they've terminated people in the past around these sorts of things, no, most notably um, My Magic Plus, it, it was done pretty quietly. Uh, I think that. All right, let, let's say uh, Rise of the Resistance is, is bad. Um, then you're probably going to see Scott Trowbridge get the ax. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he's going to find employment in universal within half an hour. He will not Uh, get fired. He will get promoted to an outside consulting job. Like that's these companies are experts at at doing the non fire fire. Right. But, but just like we see attraction uh, concept art come out, I think there'll be leaks on how all this stuff went. Yeah. Eventually. I mean, we, we could, we could tell with my magic plus you had, Bruce Vaughn attached to it, Tom Staggs loosely attached to it as well, and Nick Franklin. Those were kind of the indirect fall guys. And what you're going to need is to kind of wade through the content on the likes of WDW Magic, where some people that have that information just put it out there. Or maybe a, a, a Jim Hill story creeps in. But that's that's really where you're going to get it. It's not going to be in a. It's not going to be in any noteworthy news source that's going to have all that information. But but even on something like My Magic Plus, which was conceptually something brand new that nobody really knew if it was going to work or not work, like that that's not 
up on high, as high a pedestal as the what everybody thought would be an absolute home run that Star Wars being added to these parks would be. I don't know if anybody wants that uh, on their resume as being the failure. So I, I agree they'll probably do whatever they can to pay them off and buy them out. But we live in a world with social media where just stuff comes out, and and I think I think more uh, now than than any time in the past we'll we'll hear stuff if in fact that's the way things go. This you know I think we all hope that it ends up being a major success and it's wonderful. I mean, it's everything it cracked up to be and, and everything bounces back and Florida's opening is, uh, is insanely popular as we thought Disneyland's would have been. Uh, but in case that's not the case and there are a lot of uh, people let go, that's, I'm interested to hear what you know stuff comes out. And I think we'll, I think at that point we will hear some leaks on who had what to say with each of these uh, decisions that were going on. We don't know how long uh, my audio is going to hang on here. So uh, we're going to answer the last question and then uh, then call it a show. Uh, the last question comes to us from a Brian Lubis. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the current state of the monorail system. With the recent refurbishment of monorail silver, do you think the trains are here to stay? Or is this just a stopgap while waiting for new trains? I know it's not Imagineering, but I'd like your thoughts. What do you guys think? I So I'm friends with Ron, who is a former cast member who is in monorail. And not that that makes him necessarily privy to any inside information, but I will tell you that he is, although somewhat <laughs> perhaps has left the company with a little bit of a negative taste in his mouth, he's convinced that these things are on borrowed time. Um, and I'm not. I, I think that they are an iconic part of these parks. They, they're, they're more than an attraction. They sprawl all over property. Um, they, they, you know, they date back to opening day. There's no doubt that they've been neglected horribly. Um, the trains are not in good shape. I can't really comment on the condition of the beamway, but again, uh, Ron's commented to me that there, there are issues there, but you know, he's not a structural engineer, nor am I. So I don't have any ability to comment on the degree to which that's, you know, a, a, a real problem as opposed to a aesthetic or cosmetic one. Um, I think the monorails are going to stay. I think that the company is going to milk the current fleet of trains that they have for as very long, you know, for as long as they possibly can. And I expect that the long-term viability of the monorails uh, in terms of them staying, being expanded, being refurbished, whatever, is going to depend in part on the success that the, uh, that the Skyway system has. You know, if that's a massive success, then that would probably be a potential threat to the future of the monorail. But I don't think that it will be. I don't think that that system is going to have the capacity of the monorails. I don't think it's going to have the all-weather rideability of the monorails. And I, you know... If it's a massive failure, then maybe that will bode well for the future. I don't know. But I think the most likely outcome is the status quo. I think for the next five to six years, what we're going to have is exactly what we have now. I think they'll all get the monorail silver treatment, which for those who don't know, it's uh, basically an interior treatment that matches the exterior to where there's carpet that's t- uh, color match to the to the stripe on the monorail. There's a The carpet matches there. the drapes. Exactly. Um, they will be shaving the monorails. Uh, anyway, um, you know, I think that's what we're going to see is uh, surface level treatment. I have it on good authority that the actual parts inventory that they have to keep these trains running is very, very high um, and that they are extremely stingy with how they install new parts on these trains. And I, to me, that means a couple of things. It means that they're probably not going to replace them all until that part's inventory is consumed. That would be my guess. Um, so 
again, I just to, to keep it simple and to keep it short, I think what we see is what we're going to get with minor cosmetic improvements. I thought Derek said that Bombardier was uh, making new <laughs> trains. Close enough. <laughs> Whatever it was, I'm sure he mispronounced it. Uh, Bombardier. No, uh, Bombardier, I know. I'm <laughs> giving uh, Derek I know. there. Uh, the business. Yep. Uh, my thing is, I just hope they keep them up to the standard uh, uh, of what they need to be considering what they charge guests at those monorail resorts to stay there because that's the reason for those high prices that they fall back on is because it's a monorail resort. And if those monorails are trashy, broken down, not running full time, I think it's terrible. The the prices that they charge at those resorts with that being a major factor uh, in, in that price uh, determination, if they're going to charge those levels, they need to keep those trains uh, as up to date, as clean as, uh, you know, modernized uh and running a full schedule as much as possible uh otherwise i think they're really ripping off the guests that stay uh at those resorts well they're building a walkway around um the lagoon so that should be enough to satisfy it all oh yeah that fixes it (laughs) i think that can wrap this show uh before my audio cuts out again so thank you jeff and brian for those questions and we would reiterate marty called at gmail.com to get your questions in for our next show which will hopefully be before the end of the month shortly after the d23 expo sign up for our patreon set it set it up for us (laughs) (laughs) later bye